Hey everybody, welcome to Rob Observations. I'm Rob Liefeld. I am so excited to talk to you guys. Uh, today is going to be a fun show. It is a show that I, I think more now than ever is needed based on just everything that I've been seeing uh, online on all the different social media platforms as people discuss the art form of comics out loud and especially as we're getting into credits and credits on on this show and credits on this show and who's going to get credits on this show and that film but the credits come from the comic books as we know so if you're looking for some guy some woman some dude some lady to have their name in the very minuscule need a you know microscopic lens to read when it comes on the screen, when, when you are looking for their name in, in, in regards to like, say a, say a WandaVision, when you're doing that, that credit that you're seeking means they contributed in somehow to the story, to the character. And so what you're seeking is from the credit they received on the comic and how that translates into the credit they receive on the show. Well, here's the deal. If you have read comics, uh, as I have for 46 years, if you have uh, done comics, or if you've read comics recently or done comics recently, credits continue to evolve. They continue to change. This really isn't a case of who gets what. It's what the hell do these credits mean in the first place? If you crack a comic book, you're going to see plot, script, writer, penciler, breakdowns, layouts, anchor, inks, finishes, finisher, embellishes, embellishment. What do all of those mean in the first place? Well, I'm going to walk you through so many of the definitions are our own comic book glossary. I think we all need a refresher. We could all use it because not only do those specific credits denote a very specific assignment, they also uh, contribute to payment, royalties, the page rate, what it says on the voucher, and participation going forward. And you wouldn't know that because these credits are very confusing, especially in a world where we're just used to seeing, you know, a movie or a TV show and it says written by, directed by, and then let's be honest, we all get very confused when there's eight produced by credits. Producer, producer, produced by, produced by, executive produced, co-produced. Um, so, so, so we are, but, but, in, in the world of entertainment, they actually, as muddled as those are, those are clearer than the credits we are getting from comic books. And because the translation of those credits to digital has gotten lazy, they, they, they don't want to uh, do the work that was done in the credit bar in the comic books from either 1990 to 1975 to 1962, they just kind of lump everything in. That's why you're going to see like maybe digitally, and I've had to call up Marvel and say, "Hey, man, uh, my name has to be first here. I wrote the story. Since you're not going to do story by and going to do dialogue or script, if you're going to just make it a blanket writers, which it never was, which it's not how it appears in its original form, which reflects the way things were vouchered for, well, then you need to make sure the order is correct. But I see this with inkers, with pencilers, with writers, with story. So today we are going to deep dive into just what the hell do those credits mean? And when I say 
What do those credit means? Again, we're going to look at the functionality of the credit, what what you did to get the credit, and, and how so many hats can be worn on any one job. And my favorite part is at the bottom when we're going to get into embellishments and embellishers. Because, again, comics are about art to me. They are about art first and foremost. Strip away the word balloons. I'm still buying most comics because I buy them for the guys who draw them. And and what is said is is good and, and, and can be informative. But I am here for the art, for the lush gestures, the, the power of the form, the figure, the grimaces, the facial expressions, the stubble on the chin, the, 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 the furrowed brow, okay, the wavy hair. I, I, I am all in it for the art. The storytelling is so ridiculously important to me. But we have, we as, as I, I'm seeing it, these are, uh, we are 30 years out of some of my most important work, which means we're 50 years out from the work that I favor the most. And these credits continue to evolve and continue to change, but you need to understand what they meant then. And the contracts that were signed then, because so much of that is determined what you are seeing now. So we are going to start with, because you don't get to draw the pictures unless you got a story. Now, you may be lucky enough to actually um, be the guy who's writing and drawing the story. So the function of you providing the plot is the first um, and most essential part of creating any comic. Okay? So without a plot, you have nothing. The plot will tell you where the story begins, who's involved in the story, what is the conflict of the story, what are the consequences of the stakes, um, what are the interactions of the characters. This will go all the way to the final page break, the cliffhanger, or the resolve. This informs your editor and, and the publisher what you are trying to accomplish in that particular issue. And when you are providing a plot, you are providing the material with which the artist creates the world. That artist could be you, but I can't just call up and go, hey, New Mutants uh, 98. Yeah, uh, just through osmosis, I'm giving it to you through the phone to my editor, Bob Harris. No, I had to write it out. I wrote everything out on 11 by 17. I'm sorry, 11 by 17. Uh, yellow, long form pads. And I did them in marker because I don't type. And the reason I have all these things, here's the beauty of the possessions of, of my credits are because we had instigated uh, fax machines to Marvel Comics, everything that I sent came back to me. And when I mean came back to me, it came through the roller and curled right back into my hand so that I could put it back in a folder. And that stuff never left, physically never left my site or my possession. So I have all of my written plots from the first one I did to the last one I did. And those are and remain to be my receipts of story. Now, when you inform someone that you are, you know, going to be, you know, giving them the plot and the story again, is it night? Is it day? You know, is it, is it the middle of the day? Where are you? Are you in the desert of Arizona? Are you in Sedona? Are you in, you know, uh, are, are, are you in, you know, Iraq? Where are you? Are you in a tank? Are you in a plane? Are you in a living room? Are you in a base? Are you at a military establishment? Again, this is all the function of story. That means you are the writer. But if you are not going to provide the final script, that will fall to someone known as the scripter 
or script, or occasionally you'll see dialogue. Dialogue, okay? Sometimes you'll even see, and this is a clever one, words, which is a little misleading. Words implies more to me than dialogue or script. But what I have seen so much in recent years is when people go, what do you mean? So-and-so, it says script. That means they wrote the script. No, 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 no. Go back to the vernacular of the time. In the 90s, script meant you're providing dialogue. Plotted, story by, script by means word balloons, means you hung the word balloons. That is not my definition. That is how it was defined to me by Marvel Comics. I had first seen the writer essence broken up into plot and script in the most potent manner. I, I'd seen it, I guess, uh, here and there on, a, on, on, on comics, especially in the 70s. Uh, the editors and the writers would divvy it up. Marv Wolfman would plot it. His friend Len Wein would script it. Maybe that's an issue of Spider-Man or the Hulk or something. They were good buddies and they split it up. They both filled out separate vouchers saying, I created the story, and the and Len would create the script, and those are two different price points. You are paid different rates. When it got into the royalty breakdowns that Jim Shooter established that carried through to my period in the 90s, the royalty rates were different as well. The story got a different royalty rate than the script. The script was seen as less, uh, less, um, uh, less of, a, of, a, of a workload, then the plot, the actual plotting and telling, I mean, imagine if every page that you wrote in, you're describing five panels per page, as opposed to then dialoguing what's already been drawn through the descriptions on those page. So Marv would plot it, Lynn would script it, two different page rates, two different royalty rates, two different participations, okay? And so when people say, but script, no, this isn't a Hollywood script. Like I wrote a script for that movie. Like Quentin Tarantino says, this isn't what I had written in the script. That's a Hollywood term. Hollywood script and comic book script are not the same. They never have been. Scripting, when you have an entire issue, as I did with Captain America number one, and I asked Jeff Loeb if he would script it, he said, send me all the pages. We sent him 50, 11 by 17, black and white, fully penciled and inked, completed art pages, and I sent it to him. When he received them, he said, storytelling in here is very clear. I'm pretty certain I know everything that's going on here. I do have some questions, and I need to talk through you what you were thinking when you drew them for yourself, which I did. So I told him the motivation for this guy and that guy and that lady. Okay, then he went about providing the script. He put the dialogue, and look, snappy patter, matters. None did snappy patter better than Stan the Manly, okay? The snappy patter that was coming out of Spider-Man was never better than when he did it. He just had an ear for that flippant voice when Peter Parker put that mask on and became kind of this alter, more of a smartass as Spider-Man. So when he would taunt the crooks, taunt the cops, battle the bad guys, and he had his wide array of, of insults, that was brilliantly provided by Stan. However, Stan also gave John Romita Sr. the stories. So Stan is fully the writer on that job. He provided the story, telling John Romita Sr. that at this point, page six is when Kingpin smashes through the wall. He grabs Spider-Man by the ankle, throws him into the table. Spider-Man counters. 
swings a punch at Kingpin, who catches that um, punch, grabs Spider-Man by the clavicle, and then throws him through the window, smashing through the window, turn the page. Top of page seven, Spider-Man is in free fall from the top of Kingpin's penthouse, close on his hand as he activates Web Shooter, which spits out, attaching to nearest building. Spider-Man gathers himself and swings fully, you know, in reverse, returning through the window to kick Kingpin. That is a plot. That is a plot to tell the, the, the artist what to draw now, maybe in page one, it says nighttime, Spider-Man, full moon in the background, climbing up the side of Kingpin's building. Page two, leaps over penthouse balcony. Spider-Man pries open sliding doors. Spider-Man is now inside Kingpin's uh, penthouse, is heading towards the big giant oversized desk. Okay, these are the, that is descriptive. That is your story, that is your plot, that gives your guy what to draw. If those pages are then returned to that same guy and he is going to provide the dialogue in the script, they just call that writer, written by, okay? Both functions are happening from one, you know, one, one talent. So that is the function of the writer. Alan Moore puts all of the dialogue into all of the description as well. So in page one, in that same scenario, had Alan Moore written it, it would have been 3 a.m. He may have described the, 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 the street vendors either arriving early to set up their hot dog stands for the next morning. He may have dictated that the um, scene below Spider-Man as he goes up the building has a pair of taxis side by side, a police car parked you know, on the lower corner, he would have told you what was going through Spider-Man's mind at that time. If Spider-Man had a thought balloon or a caption, I'm nervous about the stakes that I'm about to invoke by breaking into Kingpin's penthouse. I sure hope Mary Jane is okay. Okay, I'm just, again, I'm spitballing this. This wasn't prepared. But again, the dialogue as Kingpin, you know, maybe in the panel where Kingpin comes in after Spider-Man, he says, how dare you? Or, I knew it would be you, okay? And then Spider-Man saying, don't throw your back out with that swing, tubby. Whatever. Alan would have had that in the script because he would full script everything and go as so far as to tell you whether the shirts are tucked in, whether they're rumpled, whether it's a bow tie, whether it's a standard tie, the type of jacket. I mean, he would have gone to great lengths because he... And that. That's what got Alan off. He loved that kind of stuff. He loved putting that manner of detail into the descriptions. I think it was like a symphony for him. He just loved continuing the sentences and the descriptions. And it was it was his art, you know? He, he didn't get paid by the word. He got paid the same amount, whether he put 500 words into a panel description or if he put 50, okay? That, that, that he just did it because that's the way he liked to do it. Then you as the artist received that and you pencil that and you have achieved the role of the penciler or perhaps just artist, okay? And so in regards to writer, plot, and script, if you're doing it all, you're the writer. If you're um, Marv Wolfman and you're drawing and you're, and you're writing the entirety 
of Spider-Man 200, 250, and you're handing it off to Sal Buscema, Keith Pollard, whomever is drawing that issue, and, the, and, and it's coming back to you to script. That's a function of what's called the Marvel style, okay? The Marvel style was created uh, in part to make things go faster and to give artists more freedom. I don't like full scripts. I never have. I avoid them like the plague. Alan Moore is the king of the full scripts. Since Alan Moore uh, ascended to the top of the writer's throne and got all the acclaim, all the awards, many, many attempted to follow trying to be Alan Moore and stack their descriptive um, panels in as dense a a manner that he did. And there's only one Alan Moore. And when I've read stuff that attempts to be Alan Moore, I just roll my eyes. Because again, like I said, Alan wrote uh, three issues, three years worth of Supreme, over 30 stories that he wrote for us. Uh, several Youngbloods, Some Glories, Judgment Day, which was a miniseries, which, which was over 100 pages, which meant we got 300 plus pages of written story for the artists. So, so I've, I'm, I'm very familiar. Thousands of Alan Moore. He wrote, he wrote a, a story I've never published. Issues of a, of, a, of a concept called War Child that is dense. I have read my Alan Moore. I know how the master intends to, for it to be done. And I, and I know the, the poetry that comes from him. The plot script method was a function of giving artists more freedom and it was called the Marvel Method because Stan uh, embraced it and enacted it in the biggest, largest manner more than anyone had done at that time, much more so than DC. So that this was this was more of what Marvel was doing, whether it was Roy Thomas, whether, whether it was Stan Lee, whether it was Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, whether it was Doug Mensch. This is how these guys were encouraged in this system. Get the plot because it may only take you, again, you've got an artist, he needs work, he's waiting, his time is valuable, not utilizing him is, is killing the schedule, so get him five pages. Maybe over lunch you can come up with that Spider-Man Kingpin scenario, enough so, so that John Buscema, Sal Buscema, Jim Mooney, Ross Andrew, Gil Kane has something to draw for the next few days. In the meantime, you can then build out the rest of the story. By the time those pages come back to you, you can begin to script them or you can hold on and wait till you get all 22. But again, the writer is the author of the plot and the script or sometimes just the plot and does not hang around to do the script. The place that I had seen, and I began to mention this, that I had seen the scripting aspect um, so uh, so much uh, in, in, the more, in the most glorified and the most popular... Um, high-profile manner was on Justice League when Keith Giffen was doing the plots and the layouts and J.M.D. Matisse was coming in, who I had known prior to that as a full writer. He did, like, in my mind, 50 issues of The Defenders. He did um, Doctor Strange issues. J.M.D. Matisse was a very busy, very, um, uh, uh, I would say, verbose writer. He wrote a lot. He wrote the plots for the Defenders, and he provided the script, hence he was the full writer. Now I'm seeing him on Justice League when Keith Giffen relaunches it in 86-87, and it's got this comical edge, and it reflects more of Keith's uh, story whimsy and, and interaction, and, and it's just shy of being a sitcom, 
but it's a little and it's a little funnier than a straightforward action adventure movie and it's definitely got a different flavor but man they are working simpatico but the 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 credits read that jm dematisse is taking those pages after they're penciled per keith giffen's plotting and he is putting this dialogue on them and the work read so well it read spectacularly justice league took off it was a huge hit kevin mcguire and his um talent for bringing realistic uh, expressions and really detailed faces uh was a, was a part of why that worked so well the dialogue was never better than coming out of his particular uh, expressions and faces but again keith giffen is providing you the plot keith giffen is vouchering for a plot he is getting paid a rate for plot that rate is different than script rate okay combine them and you are the complete writer but jm dematisse was the scripter providing script the dialogue the the verbal interaction the word balloons he was hanging the word balloons and doing it exceptionally well in a way that we all were thrilled okay uh you know john Remy, uh, uh john byrne frank miller walt simonson these cats to their to to their i mean just the nth degree, the ultimate flex. They wrote, illustrated, and dialogued their entire runs. Frank and Walt and John, Jim Starlin, these guys were masters at it. They 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 had um, great prose to go along with their wonderful pictures. Sometimes, uh, in Frank's case, he did not ink the book. He penciled, he wrote it and penciled it, which meant he did his plots for himself to draw, as well as providing the dialogue. When he left drawing the book, he he went into layouts, which we'll get into later. And Klaus Janssen, who had inked him, became the full-time penciler for about a year after Frank left, taking over. But Frank would, you know, continue to do story and dialogue. So he functioned completely still as the complete writer, but his artistic input changed to layouts and or breakdowns. But we're going to get to that. That's right around the corner here. So in terms of writer plot script, if you're doing it all, you're the writer. Jim Lee on the X-Men, he got John Byrne to script over his plots. He got Scott Lobdell to script over his plots. That is the way that Jim chose to work in that he was he wanted to focus more on what he was drawing and less on what they were saying. But what they're saying is predicated on what he was drawing and if Jim is providing the plot as he was on the X-Men books, then he, in fact, was responsible for what was being drawn and then would indicate to Scott Lobdell what to what would be scripted, what, what, what was the motivation. It dictates the dialogue. If you've got a page of Rogue and Gambit and they're about to take their clothes off and turn the lights off and get it on and, and Rogue's, you know, keeps the gloves on because she doesn't want to touch Gambit because she doesn't want her powers to affect him or mutant abilities. Well, Jim has no doubt plotted that through, drawn that to um, its perfection, and now is telling Scott, this is what I'm thinking here. This is why I had this done. Scott then goes, okay, I will now give the interaction via dialogue of these two characters. And maybe there's just a couple word balloons because the strength of the storytelling is so strong and the lighting and the gestures that there's that less is more. And so, you know, that is a function of what Jim brought to the table, creating the stories for his X-Men issues. And then Scott Lobdell would come and polish it off with his dialogue. This happened um, more and more and more as the 90s continued to flex. In some instances, 
Some guys, like Scott Lobdell himself, who began graduating to providing full plots and stories for the X-Men books, was then handing off the scripting chores to other people because, for whatever reason, uh, Scott wanted to just keep plotting and would hand off sometimes to guys like Howard Mackey or others, his buddies, who would jump in and provide finished script. Scott just wanted to keep telling the stories. The stories are what is the most important. Scott plotted out a giant crossover that launched Generation X with Chris Pacello. But that was part of this giant event that we got to end with the birth and the, you know, you know, uniting the members of what would be Generation X. Well, plotting something that intricate can take a lot of time. And again, page descriptions, you know, uh, this guy is trudging through the snow. The fog is thick. Close up on his eyes as he squints, as he as, as he looks to focus on what's ahead of him, pull back, you know, a medium range shot as we see something in the fog is forming, aerial shot to to show the 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 isolation of this character that he is truly in the in out in the middle of nowhere. Then shock in the eyes, close up on the eyes, shock as a giant bear is charging through the mist. And it has finally come into focus. You know, maybe the next page is giant bear fangs. You know, as, as uh, uh, you know, slobber coming out of the uh, mouth of the bear as it looks to bear down on its victim. Okay, these are products of telling the story. When I was finishing up my Youngblood run as a writer only uh, at the end of uh, like 2010. 2011, uh, I was writing plots, stories for an artist named John Malin. I would go to great lengths to detail each and every story so that what he was drawing was exactly what I had imagined. If Troll and Night Saber are walking down the hallway arguing until they get to their version of the danger room, their workout room, upon which, you know, Troll hits the open button, the, the doors slide open, they are both met by a cadre of different various sized robots, some robots that are hovering with no legs, just a trunk and arms, other giant behemoth, you know, robots with multiple arms. That is something that I am writing into the story. You know, Night Saber grabs his battle staff, swings low, taking out the legs of the robot that is closest to him. Troll jumps on top of the hovering robot, pulling its robot arms behind him, careening the, the, the hovering robot into the wall, smashing it. You know, Troll does backflip, lands, and then punches the robot approaching him from the left. That is, again, descript describing the story. I did not want to... Dialogue. I, uh, dialogue, uh, I feel is better utilized by others unless it isn't, as I will get to. And in this case, I had contacted or come in contact with a nice young fan named Ryan Schrott, C-S-C-H-R-O-D-T, and I gave him the issues of Youngblood to script. He was impressive. It was nicely done. Uh, the snappy patter was good. The interactions were exactly what I wanted. Things that were dire came off dire. Things that were light came off light. He reflected my story perfectly. And I gave Ryan those jobs and gave him, not his debut because Mark Miller gave him a short story first, 
but I allowed him to script these books. But so he took the finished art John generated from my story and was able to then provide the script. Guys like Robert Kirkman, they do the whole thing. I've read Walking Dead plots, Invincible plots. I've drawn from Robert's. It's 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 not quite the Alan Moore attempt, but it's it's got dialogue built in. They're very descriptive. You know, uh, FBI agent waiting in line at a Starbucks comes upon a kind of hipster barista with glasses. That's the kind of stuff in the direction that Robert is giving you. You know, the, 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 the glass of the Starbucks shatters as gunshots are fired. The FBI agent, you know, dives to the floor, drawing her weapon, returns fire on target outside. All of that, that's writing. That's in the plot. Now, the dialogue that, that's exchanged between the barista and the FBI guy, it's in there. Or the FBI lady, it's in there. Now, when I draw the pages up, will he maybe tweak it? Tweaking. Tweaking is the byproduct of the final notes. Maybe the editor asks you to tweak. Maybe you do your own second pass. I've seen some letterers in the last decade use Twitter to say, Hey, writers, I am not here to perfect your second and third pass. Please get it as right as possible on the first try. Colorists do the same thing. They really only want to do one pass of notes, not multiple passes as you refine what you didn't perfect in the first place. But I can tell you, having you know worked with somebody like Robert Kirkman and his um, full scripts, uh, you know, all the direction is there, everything you need and you just go and you complete it. And, you know, maybe in the tweaks, there's some minor dialogue adjustments <clears throat> and heaven forbid, maybe you left something out that he has to compensate for. And that's another area that I've heard many times when artists just ignore what's there. There is a famous story. I will not name the writer. I will not name the artist, although the writer has been previously named in the last few minutes. There is a, a story that he wrote and the artist had come out of a movie that he liked and he really wanted to do a sequence that mimicked a movie that he liked. And so instead of writing what he was given, he completely pivoted, did, did, a, did a scene that involved elements that were not in the script, uh, had the characters face off against uh, uh, you know objects that were not in the script because he wanted to draw said objects and the writer was like, what is this? This isn't what I gave you. Now then the function of the editor, depending on how important the artist is, is to assuage the frustrations of the writer as they did in this case, I'm speaking from fact, and get them to work together because the artist was slow and what he had given was dynamite and I think everyone knew the fans would go crazy over it. It's just not what he was asked to draw. That is a going rogue faction that we don't see often, but it has happened. And so I hear about that. And look, there's room for that. That Your, your tweaks are never going to be more important than in, a, in, in an instant like that. So that is super important, okay? But uh, I've, I've written, I've, I've, I've drawn... Uh, plots from Jeff Loeb, they are much bigger, much more loosey-goosey. I have talked on this show. Now, he can, he is capable of very, very, uh, again, like Robert and Alan Moore, a more condensed descriptive package in his stories. But when depending on the artist and the competency of the artist, Jeff will relax that in, in lieu of getting the best out of his artist. And I do believe it does you do get the best out of the artist when you know how to speak to them and 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 describe things, but uh, not in, to, to the point where they, they, they can just go off completely on their own and abandon your goals, okay? So we've spent all this time on writing, plot, script. You can see how 
dense this is. Now, on some stories, Teen Titans, Marv Wolfman, George, George Perez, later issues of the X-Men, you would see co-writers, okay? Co-writers, Claremont and Byrne. Now, John Byrne has said in his 1980 Comics Journal interview that he had to apply immense pressure to Chris to give him story credit because John believed that he was applying a lot of input into what was being drawn in the direction of the book. And Chris relented. I think things soured. John left the book and then would go on to be full a full-time writer and never look back. He was the full-time writer on Fantastic Four for the next five years. Would go on to do Alpha Flight, Hulk. Um, you know, he, he would go on to uh, then do all the Superman titles. He was uh, really, really put on the writer's mantle and wore it and, and owned it in a big way. But it was a result of maybe some tough uh, arguments and conflicts in getting that co-writer status. Now, George and Marv Wolfman would talk openly that they would co-plot the stories. So they're each sharing the story. It's in a phone call. Marv and George are figuring out. I heard this from both gentlemen. They were very generous. Marv was on the West Coast. George was on the East Coast. They'd run up those bills. They'd, they'd bill it to DC Comics. They would create their stories. It says co-writers, storytellers. They were both 50. I don't know how the money worked out. I don't know who vouchered for what. I don't know what you know extent, but I know that George definitely, especially in regards to the royalties, which means somehow he was getting a story payment up front in order to qualify it for on, on the back end. They were co-writers, co-plotters, okay? In my time on New Mutants and X-Force and Youngblood and all that followed, I was the story. I was the plot. I was never a co-plot. I did not get, receive, ask, um, for input on my stories. I knew exactly what I wanted. I happened to be the artist who was also drawing those stories. But again, I had to write on my long form pads and fax them in so that my editor would be able to understand what I was giving him so that they could plan and market and, and, and know the direction that I wanted to take things in, even though sometimes I held things close to my vest, like Domino's true um, identity, existence, strife's true mystery, secret existence. But... Uh, I never shared. There is no place that you see on my credits that I am co-story or co-writer or or co-plot. I am plot. I am story. Okay? And as we've covered here, story is what you are picking up to read. The dialogue is the function of someone who is providing script like a J.M. D. Matisse or what a Scott Libdell gave to Jim Lee and his X-Men stories. So when in, in my time whether it was Jeff Loeb on Captain America, Eric Stevenson on Youngblood, or let's take Youngblood number one. I did not provide the script for that. I gave it to my buddy, Hank Canals. It did not turn out the way that I had anticipated. So Youngblood two, I took on the full writing chores. I gave you the entire story. I gave you all the dialogue and the narration. I was 100% the writer absent anyone doing script for me. I decided to embrace it. Now, had I not... I would be, especially under Marvel terms, in regards to profit, sharing some sort of creative credit with Hank had he scripted Youngblood 2. Now, now this is not reflective of any decision that I made going into Youngblood 2 other than I, I thought maybe it was time that I take complete control of the narrative to get exactly what I wanted out of it. But the byproduct was Hank Canals would have some sort of, and especially in the courts of law, he would say, well, my name is on that. I have some sort of tether to profit. When I sold profit, the option to Studio 8, 
um, they were dealing with one author. That's me, because I wrote and illustrated Prophet's first appearance and subsequent appearances. But really, the first appearance, that, that's all that matters. People tried to grind me in uh, when the Deadpool movie came out for saying that the janitor could have scripted uh, Deadpool number one and been credited as the creator. Guys, that's not my rules. That is Marvel's rules. Let's say the receptionist instead of the janitor. Let's say the doorman instead of the receptionist. It all matters. In the Marvel way, in the Marvel method, you get a creative participation, which is why I tweeted a couple days ago. Scripting was the best backdoor into creative participation. You didn't have to have any input on the character's motivation, origin, uh, the powers, the name, the look, uh, the, none of it. All you had to do was show up and provide some funny word balloons per the direction of the story, and you got a piece, albeit a small piece. Again, because writing is one level of payment and royalty. That within the writing is the plotting and the scripting. If you're doing both of those, you know, you're Chris Claremont on your solo writing title, okay? If you're Rob Liefeld and you're providing story and pencils and inks, you get that chunk of the royalty. Let's say there's five cents to go around. I'm getting four cents or four and a half cents and 0.5 of the penny is left. Half penny is left on every issue. And then that's how it breaks down across the royalty board. That's how it's broken down. That's how it would be with Scott Lobdell scripting over Jim Lee's, you know, story and Jim also providing the art. That's how it was done. The guys who do their own stories... They are providing the, the complete story as well as the dialogue. So we're going to leave. I think we've covered plenty of that. We've done the co. How When it says co, it's because they were co and they want it reflected as co. They filled out vouchers that said, my voucher said Rob Liefeld plot slash story. There was a page rate and a royalty assigned to that. Then I was penciler and inker. I got a royalty and a page rate assigned to penciling and assigned to inking. And again, if, if something happens to me, you know, and, and, and I croak, in the middle of the job, uh, you know, I go into a coma, I become unconscious. That Those long-form pages that I fax through describing every panel and the motivation for what's going on in the pictures, even though the storytelling is truly clear, I have to tell you who this domino is and why she is showing up and putting a knife in Deadpool's back. That is on me. Where did Deadpool come in the first place? What's going on here? How does he know Cable? That's in those notes that in case I croak... Or in case the guy who's assigned to script it croaks, they can then hand it off to someone else, okay? Again, the function of story and script, it go, they go hand in hand, but one does not exist without the other. You have to have a story in order to apply the dialogue. Again, script is not screenplay. Script is not a Quentin Tarantino, you know, page one, scene one, okay? Scripting in comic books as detailed in the 90s is the dialoguing, the word ballooning, okay? Pencils. Full pencils. Full pencils means you provided the pencils that qualify with the rendering, the gesture, the storytelling, the lighting, all of it. Some of your favorite artists do the full pencils. But in the production line that is comic books, some of the greatest of all time, John Buscema comes to mind, did not only just pencils, but breakdowns. Pencils, when you see a beautiful John Byrne penciled page from X-Men and from the top left to the bottom right, every single piece of detail is rendered completely and lighted. And every strand of hair, the stubble, okay? That is a full pencil. 
when you determine, you know, where the shadows are being cast, the, 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 the rendering on the arm, okay, the light source on the costume, the textures, okay, that is full pencils. But in the production line of comic books, somebody like a John Buscema will do entire issues of Thor, of Conan, where he is merely giving you breakdowns. What is breakdowns? Breakdowns is a lesser version of the page. Gil Kane, oh my gosh, Gil Kane, so much of what Gil Kane gave people was just the breakdowns. You're getting full structure. You see clearly that that is the Hulk. He is crouching on a rock. But aside from the musculature and the anatomy and the indication of the hair and the barest um, placement of eyes, nose, mouth, maybe teeth, you're getting no rendering. You're getting no line weights, okay? You're, all of that is being left to the embellisher or the inker. At that point, your inker is not an inker. He is an embellisher. He is provided in what's called finishes. What is finishes? Finishes is short for finished art, okay? And there are fantastic embellishers. Right now, I'm doing a job where I'm asking multiple people to embellish me. You haven't heard about it yet because I haven't announced it yet. But I want to go back to the 70s where this was so much more part of the dinner in that guys to meet deadlines had to create issues in breakdowns. My favorite, John Byrne. He did several issues. There's two issues in the 180s of the Avengers. I don't have them in front of me, but they featured the Absorbing Man. It was a two-part two part issue. I have bought different pages from those issues. That, that we are going to get into uh, the, the exact title of why there's 15 inkers on each of those issues because John provided basic breakdowns to keep up with the storytelling. So it's not just John Buscema, it's John Byrne. And it's not just Gil Kane, okay? And John Byrne would not do the complete lush level of pencils for X-Men that we've seen reproduced in so many different fanzines or they're out there on the internet, especially the sequence that John Byrne drew for X-Men 137 that was not utilized, that they cut out of the book. Those pages... The, 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 the original ending of Dark Phoenix indicate exactly how tight he was penciling everything, every nuanced render line, lighting, um, costume detail. It's just beautiful atmosphere. And Art Adams is the other super tight penciler that, that, that I've seen, just super tight. But Gil Kane, he will give you just above, everything kind of looks like, like without your skin on, your human anatomy. Your, 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 your muscle contours, okay? Gil Kane would just go full-on Bern Hogarth, uh, who was an anatomy master, and draw all these twisty figures battling and the barest essential of a weapon. But an inker, uh, a Bob McLeod, a Bob Wyacek, a Terry Austin, a Dick Giordano, an accomplished artist in their own right, would go in and finish it. There's a Defenders cover I came across, and Gil basically just did the anatomical... That There's rocks, there's rubble, there's city... But the, 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 there's no reflections in the, in, the, in the windows. There's no texture on the buildings. Doctor Strange has just a, the barest of gestures and the fingers. Everything's there. All the information, the, 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 the information to make a completed piece of art is there. The cropping, the storytelling, and the staging. And we don't dwell enough on the staging. But the staging makes the shot as much as the rendering, if not more so. But then this piece was given to a brilliant inker named Finisher named Bob Wyacek, who came in and polished it, gave texture to Dr. Strange hair, uh, texture to his cape, um, uh, gave the different um, thickness of the, of the rendering of the folds of, of Dr. Strange's uh, uh, robes, uh, meticulously detailed out the hand, 
Hulk's musculature. Um, it, it's it's really it's really fun. The age of the embellisher is really the heyday of the '70s. Guys like Joe Rubenstein, um, guys like Bob McLeod, they would take somebody's breakdowns in in the, in the John Byrne Avengers case that I may get to. We're going to meet the function of you're going to meet two very important guys. I'm going to I'm going to preview. We're going to get to them. They're called D hands, D period hands, and M um, period hands. And you're going to you're going to you're going to learn the true identity of D hands and M hands in just a minute here. But breakdowns, uh, the John Buscema Conan, I was given as as a gift in the 90s, an entire issue of Conan that John Buscema broke down. And you can see it's very clearly Conan in the middle of a giant barroom brawl, you know, fighting all these other kind of barbarian guys, swords clashing, guys getting knocked out into the street, horses, but it's all in the most barest of gesture. And they look like they were drawn really fast in order to meet a deadline. John Buscema would often be given to an entire uh, kind of cadre brigade platoon. That, that's a better word. In the in the in the in the 70s, an entire uh, platoon, a, a grouping, uh, they came kind of and appeared in mass of these brilliant. Filipino artists, Alfredo Alcala, Ernie Chan, Danny Bulanati, all of these guys, um, Rudy Nebris. These guys were masters of, of, of the most intricate uh, brush and, and pen work. They would render every single rock, every blade of grass, every ripple in the in, in, the, in the pond. I watched Alfredo Alcala work at a convention as he had his um, different brushes that he was inking with, but he also had uh, different levels of ink for ink wash, the, 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 the pool, little pool of water in his dish and different, different levels of gray because he used the water to dilute ink um, differently in each little, each little pool on the tray. And he would apply the gray wash and achieve the gray wash. And then go over that with the fine, fine inking line. Alfredo Alcala, Rudy Nebrez, Danny Bulanati, Ernie Chan, there are so many others, okay? These guys would thrive so much on taking the bold gestures and storytelling and staging of a guy like John Buscema and then just beautifully rendering, detailing the faces, the hair, the eyes, the squints, okay? The beautiful women, the form giving these really beautiful, lush outlines, whether it was a man's ripped physique or, 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 the, or the form of a dancer. Neil Adams finished John Buscema. Often, I am trying to get pages from when Neil inked Tarzan and when Neil inked Conan. And Neil told me to my face in 2016 how much he loved inking breakdowns over Gil and over John Buscema and over all of them because Neil was a master artist himself and could just easily go in and polish that and it would still look like John Buscema but you could definitely see where Neil kissed his style with his own and they're brilliant but breakdowns are done faster they're paid less but the idea when you're being hired to do breakdowns means you're gonna do that job uh faster than you normally would because they need it because they've got a finisher intended that will that will put polish on that so that you can get back to doing maybe the next issue so that more issues can get ahead. Or maybe John Buscema looks at the script and goes, I'm comfortable breaking this down, but I'm not so in love with it that I have to detail every, you know, 
every line. Now, a finished John Buscema job when he would ink himself like on Silver Surfer, you could see he wanted to to, to put his own textures and brushwork and, and line weights and rendering on every figure, on all of the different atmospheres. He was invested in, in that book in a way that I had not seen him be invested in, in many others prior or to follow. But he, uh, his form, his storytelling, his gestures, so much of what we love about comics, the unsung aspect, the staging, the storytelling, was there that John Byrne was John Byrne and John Buscema were master class in this regard. Okay, they, they they knew exactly what they were doing. They needed the 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 amount of information to be imparted. But then these kind of you know again imagine a form without rendering, just a, a little above a basic gesture. Definitely more than a stick figure. Okay, but something that an inker or in this case an embellisher. And so much of Savage Sword of Conan and Conan at the time were being pre presented this way. The Alfredo Alcala, the Every Blade of Grass, the Every Cloud in the Sky, the all the pebbles and the rocks and the rendering. And so many of them were looking at, I think, stuff that like Bernie Wrightson had done. And uh, especially what, when you look at the Bernie Wrightson Frankenstein portfolio and plates that he did, they were all, they loved that, you know, no solid blacks in, in terms of the figure. Everything was broken down into tightly wound tightly polished lines next to each other or the lines would get broken up to make either darker gray areas lighter gray areas or completely open areas but very few open areas because they would render everything and it was beautiful to behold it still is again there's groups on facebook that we just lose our minds over this stuff so that is the function of an embellisher the john Byrne jobs Okay. Now, an inker, an inker like a Terry Austin, has a very distinct style. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get to the John Byrne D hands, M hands yet. I'm going to push that off still. Terry Austin, uh, you know, Dick Giordano. Dick Giordano would take these beautiful, tight Neil Adams pencils or Tom Palmer, and they would just add their own fine, uh, fine polished line work and create these finished images. But they would not be really adding anything that wasn't already on the page because they were so tightly produced and so tightly rendered. And, and in that regards, that, that is when full pencils are, are being inked and the inker is bringing his certain brand of polish, but he is not embellishing. He is not being paid more to build out the figure to create the texture of the hair or the environment. And, and so in that case, that is a pencil page being inked and those are pencil rates and those are ink rates. But in regards to the embellisher, the embellisher was definitely paid more in many instances than the penciler or the inker had a certain inking rate. But when he was asked to embellish, he would get an extra 50 to $60 a page, maybe $100 a page. Generally, the 50, 60 is, is what I encountered in, in my time in the business in the, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s. And of course, the guys at Image, we decided to pump those, those rates up, make them, make them uh, stronger to reward um, if there was true... Uh, uh, really detailed embellishing and finishing going on. But so much of what you enjoy in regards to the inking, like there are issues that Jim did of X-Men that Art Taber inked. I'm bringing up Art Taber specifically because I know Art. Art broke in as a penciler. And, and as a penciler, he always, always mastered the inking tools, whether it was the crow quill or the brush. And so Art 
uh, not the fastest penciler. He'll be the first to tell you that, which is why he started booking so many more inking gigs. And by the end of the 80s, early 90s, he was inking guys like Dan Jurgens and, and adding a new polish and a new twist to those Superman issues that they did together to the point where that caught everybody's eye. And my buddy Art suddenly is now one of the most sought-after inkers, finishers in the business. Well, he inks a couple issues over Jim Lee on X-Men where Scott was not inking them. Scott Williams didn't ink those issues. And, and they are some of, if not my favorite issues of the X-Men. I prefer Art's inks on Jim Lee uh, over anyone who's ever inked Jim. And there is a magneto splash at the end of uh, the rogue Ms. Marvel pre, uh, uh, Savage Land issue. And that last page of Magneto. It's My favorite Magneto images are provided by John Byrne and Terry Austin, but then this fits in snugly down the list, right down the list, and it is a full-page splash of Magneto that Art just inked the crap out of, got all the great render lines, the, the strong figure lines, the fades, all of the technique of the time, but Art would then later on, as Jim was winding down his X-Men run prior to Image, Jim provided breakdowns. I saw those breakdowns. Art Tiber was now bumped up to finisher. He got paid more than an inking rate because he was also being asked to polish those pages, add more in terms of figure work, um, make more of the decisions in terms of the light sourcing, the line weights, the rendering, the atmosphere. And so Art got a page rate on that. He got bumped up from inking rate. Let's say his inking rate was 150. I don't know what it was. I'm just pulling that out of a hat. Let's say now he got paid 210. 225, whatever it was that he got bumped up, it would always, it would also affect the royalty that he got. When you're not the full penciler and then you're applying breakdowns, you are getting a diminished rate. You are not getting paid your full page rate. You're getting paid, maybe, maybe Jim's rate was 225 on pencils. Well, now he's making 160 in breakdowns, but it makes sense because he's spending that much less time per page, per figure, per face. Okay, again, it's a functionality of production. And so much of what you don't see in those last X-Men issues is because Art is such a good penciler in and of himself that he was able to take the breakdowns that Jim was giving him and make them look like finished Jim Lee pencils with finished Art to Bear inks. And you never knew the, the difference other than the credit which Art deserved because he was putting in more time and more effort. And again, in the royalties, when those royalties are paid out over the years and years and years, it's consistent that Art is given more of the royalty because he shifted more than an inker into the penciling category. Jim shifted from penciling into breakdowns. Now, layouts are different. Layouts are when someone is hired to provide you layouts. That is not a function of the penciler. That could be the writer. Alan Moore provided layouts for so many of the stories that we published. Keith Giffen Almost everything he did for 10 years would come with layout, story direction. He in encouraged you to follow them, but you weren't um, required 100% to follow those breakdowns, but they were definitely great guides and somebody as good as Keith Giffen, you wanted to follow them as close as possible. I've seen guys who started with Giffen, who thought they could do it better, who wanted to get the full page rate because the layout does come out of while the writer may give you the layouts, that's also taking away from your penciling. Okay, uh, unless you've negotiate, ne negotiated something special, it will come out of the penciling rate in the big two in the in the publishers that we um, that, that that I dealt with. Now in Image Comics, we didn't. Um, a guy guys like Mar Marat Michaels and guys like Todd Knock, I hired quite frequently when we had new pencilers who I didn't think their storytelling was up to snuff. I would ask Marat, I would ask Todd, two really good, competent storytellers, dynamic storytellers. My myself, whether it was the early issues of Bloodstrike or later issues of Supreme with Cedric Nacone, with Dan Frega, with others, with Jeff Matsuda. Jeff Matsuda's first job, I didn't know how he would tell a story, so I provided the layouts. I didn't pay myself for it because I am I own the company. 
Um, I own the studio. I didn't pay myself, so I didn't detract from him in regards to a royalty and or a page rate, but I provided the storytelling because I knew that I would have a strong point of view and that those those pages would then be able to be something that Jeff Matsudi can relax and polish his his actual rendering and drawing skills, his figure work, rather than worrying about breaking down a plot and having to tell the story. The telling the story, the layouts, is kind of part of the math equation. It is the algebra of the comic books. And so much so, as Mike Zek told me almost 40 years ago, Rob, it is the difference between when you close a book and you go, that was really good, and you close a book and you go, eh, it's the storytelling. It's the way your eye moved through a page. So the, the function of the layout guy is, again, part of the pro production line where maybe an editor goes, I really like the way this guy renders, but I need strong storytelling. I need the staging and the eye movement to be the most effective. Now, in, in, in my regards, right now, we're at the worst stage of this ever. I think storytelling and layouts are a lost art. I, I, I see pages where my eye goes everywhere at once. Uh, this new kind of breed of artist, I don't think, have taken the hard classes, have read the John Buscema How to Draw comics the Marvel way. They weren't given a strong mentor like I was in a Jim Valentino who said, absorb everything in these first hundred issues of Fantastic Four. See why Jack picks the shots he does, why he uses the economy of information, or why he makes the pages denser. Okay? We, we have lost that in my, in my estimation. I will say that one of the best storytellers in, in the business right now continues to be Adam Kubert. He of the Kubert brothers, Andy and Adam. Adam is such a unique storyteller. Every time I pick up a job, whether it's a Superman job that he did with Dick Donner 15 years ago, or whether it's the latest issue of Wolverine, Adam Kubert can, can not only guide your eye through a page with ease, but he does really clever techniques and tricks that are that are very specific to him. It speaks to point of view. It, 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 it kind of um, takes the narrative and chops it up and he'll give like little inset reality, uh, reaction shots. Inset panels are panels that are sometimes jutting out of existing panels. They have their own panel border. They're not, but they don't match up. So they're, they may be, it looks like a panel literally was placed on top of another panel. So it's a card on top of a card, but it that's an inset panel. But the stuff that Adam is doing with his storytelling, with his story design, I mean, really his layout design is fantastic. And he's one of the best that has ever done it. He continues, his his figure work is great. Adam, Adam achieved like a master level figure work a long time ago. So I think what he enjoys doing is really uh, utilizing exceptional page design and layout design and, and these different concepts and elements that, that no one else does but him. He, he's just fantastic. And in, in, in that sense... The art form is strong, but these new guys, man, people need to go study. They need to look at the works of Jack Kirby and John Buscema and so many of the guys that I've mentioned here today to strengthen their staging and their page design and the way they move your eye through a page. So we've done layouts and breakdowns and pencils. Layout is the strength of the storytelling on the page. Breakdowns speaks to the the the, the implied nature of the gesture, the face, the action, the environment, but it's not finished. The finished pencil does it all. It has everything. It's polished from top left to bottom right. It is beautifully rendered. It is, it, it's all there. The, the, the lighting on the costume, the texture of the outfit, the hair, the, the expression, you know, the, the glistening of the eyeball, the, 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 the snarl of the nose, the detail of the teeth, the, up, the lip, the cheekbones, all of it. Okay. So in terms of inking, finishing and embellishing, when I get to M hands and D hands and those Avengers issues, and, and trust me, 
when it was Neil Adams' studio, they would do, if you saw a job and it was called The Tribe, that was generally Neil's studio, all hands on deck, grabbing a John Buscema Tarzan job or a Conan job. But in, when you saw D hands or M hands in the 70s, and again, these 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 um, John Byrne Absorbing Man pages, I actually own originals. I have pages inked by Klaus Janssen. I have pages inked by Dan Green. I have pages inked by Terry Austin. They did all of these different pages across two issues where John Byrne was called upon to do breakdowns. He was doing two books a month, so he was doing full pencils on X-Men, and then he was doing breakdowns on the Avengers, of which point they would hand out different pages to Bob McCloud to Al Milgram, to Terry Austin, to Joe Rubenstein, to Bob Layton. Okay, I mean, look at how many different... Klaus Janssen did a couple of these. So you've got this entire jam session, and instead of listing every single inker, because they don't have the time in the credit bar to say this, 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 this. In some instances, very rarely, in the back of the book, they would tell you who inked what page. Those are generally special occasions. Those are not par for the course. Who is M Hands and who is D Hands, and why are they in your credit bar? M hands is many hands, okay? That means many hands touch the job. Many hands were the inkers, okay? So, and again, in many hands, you're going to get Joe Rubenstein, Bob McLeod, Klaus Jansen, Bob Layton, Terry Austin. You're going to get uh, Mike Esposito. You're going to get Dan Green, okay? Uh, it, it, the, the list goes on and on. And maybe if they all took two pages, you've almost got the entirety of the 17-page comics that I grew up on in the 60s. All that stuff that I love, the X-Men books that I love, the Avengers books, they were 17-page comics, even with splashes, double-page splashes. So if you get seven guys, everybody does two pages, boom, you're almost done, okay? So who is D-Hands? D-Hands is Diverse Hands. That's another cute, clever credit that they would apply. Diverse Hands. So many hands is M hands and diverse hands is D hands. And when I got a job that said D hands or M hands, I would flip out. I Because I, I love going through and going, that's Klaus Jansen. That's Terry Austin. That's Bob McLeod. That's Dan Green. I love that stuff. Or John Byrne inked a page himself for, for the job, you know, in, in terms of contribute to the overall inking. Sometimes the bullpen did this function. I had an issue of the New Mutants that was running late and they handed it to different people in the bullpen, people who were just there to do art corrections, but they finished an entire issue, like the last 16 pages. It is rough. These guys were not ready for prime time. That's why they weren't full-time inkers, but whatever it took to get the job done and when the job came out and I just hated it, but people told me they liked the book. And I'm like, but that guy never inked anything before in his life. He was a lettering assistant who they said, we needed to ink, ink this page and he inked it. So sometimes you'd get the bullpen jobs, okay? Sometimes you would get um, John Romita Sr., the art director, who would do the faces and then hand it off to someone else to do the figures. There are issues of Tarzan by the tribe that I would sit with Neil Adams at conventions that I was at with Neil. Neil, 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 Neil would see me coming and he'd say, hey, pull up a chair. I know what you want to do. You want to walk through this issue? I'll tell you, I ain't that figure. I ain't that face. I did that hair. This guy did that body. This guy, he would divert. He would, when Neil got a job that he would take for the, for the studio, his continuity studios and ink it as a jam session, he would pick out which faces and females, figures, um, you know, stuff that he, he did first and then he would hand off and have the rest of the guys. And in his studio, you guys, is some of these names, the Bob McLeods, the Joe Rubensteins, the Dick Giordano's, the Terry Austins. You know, these guys are the guys that are pitching in and helping. But Neil 
And that's why you suddenly get this juicy, delicious Conan face that is John Buscema pencils and and Neil Adams inks. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's the most handsome, beautifully rendered, um, cleanly inked face ever. That is Neil inking John Buscema. It's a beautiful thing. Seek, seek those issues out. I don't have them off hands. But if you see the tribe, that is, that is generally one of Neil's uh, studio kind of jobs. Or it says Continuity Studios, or it has a different, you know, uh, 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 credit to it, but but Neil enjoyed doing that, and his studio enjoyed it. And again, as an as an editor, and especially the books, the, the books when they were producing them in the in the '70s, all these guys lived in New York. Terry Austin lived in New York. Joe Rubenstein, they're all down the street from Marvel Comics. So they could literally walk in and get physical pages, walk home, and the next day deliver those two pages. Stay up all night. I've t- I've told you guys in this podcast, I was at, at a comic convention where pages of Art Adams X Men Annual were being handled handed out to Art Nichols, Al Gordon to Bruce Patterson, guys who weren't even normal inkers for Marvel, but it was all hands on deck. These guys went up to their hotel rooms. They inked these pages. They turned them back into the editor who was at the Marvel table on a Sunday. She'd give them out on a Friday or on a Saturday and say, but guys, the deal is I need this pack in my hands on Sunday. So she went to a convention and had 20 pages inked at the convention, went home because there weren't scanners and the computers. This isn't happening in 1984, okay? She needed those page pages physically in her hands to take back. And I can tell you, there are amazing pages in the Asgardian Wars, the X-Men annual with uh, female, when when Storm is turning into Thor and has the hammer that Joe Rubenstein inked, that Al Gordon inked, that Bruce Patterson inked, that Art Nichols inked. I watched them ink them either at their tables or take them home half inked from the day at the show, go back to the hotel the next morning, hand them in. That, that was the funnest time I ever had as a fan watching that stuff come together. So today we did the glossary. We knocked it out. Now you know credits better. You know the credits of comics. We have decoded this. You know, this is not going to be lost in the transition, lost in translation anymore. You understand the function of the writer, what a plot means, what a script means. Plotting, scripting, pencils, breakdowns, layouts, inks, finishes, embellishment, embellishers, okay? Uh, You know now the secret identities of D hands and M hands. And you guys, this makes the comics and, and all the stuff that we do even better. I'll end with this on Youngblood. Often, after I hired Danny Mickey, who did the slickest inks that I had ever seen, but he inking my faces was something that was very personal to me. I, 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 I always want to ink my own faces. I have a very specific way that I want them to look. So on all of those uh, jobs where it would just, uh, during Youngblood, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Danny Mickey inks, Rob Liefeld pencils. I was inking all those faces, but I didn't feel the need to take the credit and say, oh, I wanted you to believe that Danny was the best new inker in, in, in comics and he could just come in and ink faces as good as somebody who had been inking them for years, whether it was hair, eyebrows, teeth, snarls, rendering. And so occasionally there are guys who are doing more, but taking less credit because they just don't need it. And and but but the but the but but people have told me, oh man, that they've looked at an entire close up of a face and said that's uh, Danny's my favorite inker on you. And I go, is that because of that that page, that splash page with that face? Yes, I go, I, I ink that. Okay, there are secrets within secrets within secrets on these pages. Okay, there are issues of Spawn that Todd would show up at Image Partner meetings and hand them out to all of us. Jim Lee would ink a page. I would ink two pages. Mark Silvestri would ink a page. I can point those out to you. Those are in the very first two years of Spawn. I see them very clearly. It was fun. It was a great way to jam. Todd sometimes had full pencils. Tom, Todd sometimes had breakdowns. And one issue, in fact, we were handed Greg Capullo pages. So 
we were the many hands or the diverse hands that brought those jobs together. And sometimes you just get it says ink assists. Ink assists means somebody else helped ink that job. It's the most minute, minute uh, uh, credit you can possibly get. But that's because the people who are doing it aren't quite there yet and don't have the juice to get the full credit. So we've done the glossary. You understand the credits, how they relate into payments. Getting paid for the plot is 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 getting paid more than to, to, to provide the script or the dialogue. When you see script in a comic, it is not a movie script. That is not Quentin Tarantino or J.J. Abrams, page one, scene one, okay? The guy who says writer, he did, a, he did everything. He plotted it. He did the script. He applied the dialogue. He hung the word balloons too. Pencils, full pencils, breakdowns. Breakdowns are less. They're more gesture-oriented. There's some storytelling information, but they're not fully rendered. Layouts is literally camera direction. Inks, finishes, embellishes. We've done it. You guys, I know that you are now armed with this new information. You didn't understand it before. It wasn't broken down like this for you in the past. They have different pay grades, different voucher rates, different royalty participation. Okay? So this is where, this is definitely maybe the, the most informative, the, the, the most... Uh, uh, educational episode of observations I've ever done. You got smarter today. I got smarter. Our brains got bigger together. You guys, I, I appreciate that you hang out with me, that you take this journey with me, that you are here on the Rob Observations show regularly. Thank you for always reaching out and talking to me on social media. I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld, just Rob Liefeld there. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld because at Rob Liefeld has been poached for a decade. But at Robert Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld, blue checks behind both of those names. It's really me. I'm talking to you. Talk to me. Reach out to me. Let's 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 have a discussion. I love interacting with you guys. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. Look for me. Talk to me. I love hanging out with you guys. Subscribe. Uh, uh, recommend this show. Download it. Tell your friends. Continue to spread the word. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. You guys, you know the drill. You are going to take care of yourselves. You're going to stay safe, and we will talk again real soon.